Welcome back to Beyond the Sectors. My name is Chelsea. And I'm Anna. And thank you guys so much for joining us for our second episode. Thank you guys so much for all your great feedback on our first episode. We've had so many of you reaching out to us saying great things on Twitter and just really responding positively. And that feels great. And we love it. And you never quite know when you're doing a new thing how the new thing is going to go. So absolutely. Keep letting us know uh, if we're hitting what you want us to talk about. If you want to hear different things, let us know too. Mm -hmm. And we've already had a couple requests for further books in the series for uh, specific characters or some themes and kind of stuff that comes up. So if you have something specific you want us to look at or that really means a lot to you that you'd like us to touch on, definitely let us know. Anna and I both have our DMs open or, or you can go to the show Twitter itself and let us know there. There's lots of ways to get in touch with us. Without further ado, we are here today to talk about the second Beyond book. If this is your first time joining us, uh, Anna and I are here to talk about Kit Roca's Beyond books, the uh, SF romance, semi-dystopian, bisexual love <laughs> army series that we all adore. Uh, and this is the second book we're talking about Beyond Control today. Um, as we usually do or did last time, do you want to do like a t- the tiniest like plot summary for us, Anna? Yeah, so... Where we pick up just a few weeks after Beyond Shame, uh, and this book is really centered on Dallas and Lex, the king and queen of Sector 4. And a cataclysmic tattoo um, sort of triggers uh, a big change in Lex and Dallas's relationship, where they've been circling around each other for years, they've built a gang together, but they've never committed the whole way. And now... Lex throws down yep. a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Lex Perino's, uh, she's not fucking around, friends, and, and neither is Dallas. And so that definitely uh, leads to some big changes between them pretty fast. Absolutely. And then they kind of have to uh, reckon with how fast they made those changes and all of those things. Uh, this book is originally, I will admit, was my least favorite of all of the books mm. when I first read through the series. And I think it's because, like... Like Dallas and I got, we got some, we got some growing pains there in the beginning, man. And he screws just, up pretty badly in this book. Yeah, man. He's like, like everybody learns, everybody grows, but he's kind of a jerk face in this book on like several different occasions. You know, and going back and reading it again, I understand a little bit of why he screwed up the way he screwed up, especially yeah. uh, Kiroka come back and they do some uh, short story set before this at the beginning mm-hmm. of their relationship, and you sort of get a sense of that. But, you know, you're very much, Lex is my girl. And I was like, oh, no, 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 no. What are you doing? Yeah, like, no, 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 no. And again, we talked a little bit in the first episode, picking up these books, like the, the context or like the framework of kind of the genres as a whole, like as we were reading. And I think because it was only the second book and I read them so fast, mm-hmm. I had a really hard time kind of, teasing out some of those more subtle character aspects and changes in Dallas. And I think the first time I read him, I just read him as like big alpha boss man asshole who keeps like fucking this up and the other people around him in his life have the grace and forgiveness. And, and I just didn't have a lot of like leeway for Dallas. And I think that, I mean, that definitely has changed since then, both as the books have gone on and also rereading this one because he's got reasons 
like, and they're not great reasons, but he's but, got But he reasons. has rules, and he has very specific mm-hmm. parameters in which he has relationships and specific roles he puts people in, and he knows there's something broken about how Lex sees relationships, so he's sort of very hesitant to go that one more step. Mm-hmm. But he still screws up dramatically in completely the way he doesn't expect. He thinks, mm-hmm. you know, he thinks he's got this figured out finally. He ha- she has the collar. It's going to be good. Oh, offer comes to the table. And then he's like, you're like, no. And he, and yeah. he does it consistently through the book where you're like, oh. <laughs> and it's because it's, uh, it's always when he thinks he can get one over on Lex specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, it's not so much, there are times when I think he does underestimate her, but it's not so much that as he just literally doesn't, he really thinks he's got it figured out. Like he well, and really I, and I think is it comes convinced. from a place from like, he thinks he's protecting her from something. Uh, mm-hmm. Like if he stands between her and some sector three dudes, he thinks he's protecting her from their rudeness or whatnot. And mm-hmm. in fact, he's like, no, you're undermining me. And, mm-hmm. When he takes an offer and he thinks like, well, I can do this and still get away with it and it'll be okay and she'll never have to know. Again, he thinks he's protecting her. Um, Mm -hmm. And where he thinks I'm going to take down Jared Woods um, and it's going to be all me, he's protecting her. And she's like, no, none of this. None of this is protecting Mm me. And I think that's and that's the really interesting and that's what's so great about I think reading this book particularly like slowly and really kind of watching how all those um relationship dynamics between them really get pulled out because this book's really complicated and that's something that I realize every time I go back and reread it like because there's this one level of power dynamics that is this like showboating showing other people specifically like the other sector leaders power dynamic but then there's this like actual power dynamic between Lex and Dallas and then there's this third level of this like relationship stuff they haven't quite figured out yet that is popping itself up and so they have to tease their way through all of that and find a way that lets lets Lex keep her freedom and her autonomy and the power she's rightfully brought to this group just like the family as an organization while also not undermining Dallas and respecting that like he also has a role to fill and so I think there's a lot of really interesting stuff in here echoes onto what we were talking about in the last book with like performativity and the roles you perform and how you fit that and where it crosses with like the way you really feel. Yeah. And that, and there's, there's a lot of work in that for Lex. I mean, like, and I think like Kit Roca do a little bait and switch in this book in terms of what you think is going to be the conflict in the relationship, which is like, you think it's going to be the sexual stuff where <laughs> Lex has this very open sexuality where she wants to experience and feel and have all this stuff. And Dallas is very possessive. He collars his women. He's very possessive about his women. So you think, oh, goodness, how is that ever going to mesh? And that's Mm -hmm. not really the central conflict. Like, I mean, there is that thing where he has to push her to express her own desires rather than always fulfilling other people's dreams and desires. And I mean, Mm -hmm. I thought that was really beautiful. He gives her like the dream that she has and he can show himself to be trustworthy in the sexual aspect, but that's really not where their central conflict is. The central conflict, like she's willing to trust him with sex almost right off the bat, almost too much, which is the, the, the challenge that they have to figure out there. 
it's really about trusting her as a full and equal partner. Um, as somebody like you come talk to about crazy offers who you think of as will be affected by those things. Yeah, and that's because there's a scene at the very towards the very beginning after the kind of uh, inflammatory tattoo has been revealed where basically Dallas asks Lex for her list, mm-hmm. her list of like hard no's, her list of hard yeses, the whole breakdown. And he's going to get his list together too. And when they come to exchange, the only thing on Lex's list is that they do it together, yeah. all of it. And they think, and Dallas thinks that that's, again, he thinks he's got it figured out. Yeah. He thinks from the beginning that he kind of knows what that means. But as, and it's almost, a, again, a theme to the story is that as that unravels, they both realize what a big ask that is mm-hmm. and what it actually means to do everything together. Not just the sexual stuff, not just the sharing of partners, but the sharing of power and the sharing of risk and the sharing of trust in a situation that's growing like increasingly dangerous behind them in terms of like the political stuff going on in the background of this book. Yeah, I mean, it was so interesting that I mean, as I read, I read Beyond Shame, I was like, whoa, jumped into uh, Beyond Control. And this is the point in the books where I realized, oh, we're really doing the politics stuff. This is for real. Mm -hmm. You know, you have them leave Sector 4, go to Sector 2, which is a coming home, a very dangerous and difficult coming home for Lax, where she goes back to Orchid House. We get to figure out that Orchid House is something different, that there's different kinds of trainings you get uh, to be an escort in this world and how dangerous and you really get the sense that Lex is this hone blade and in that she cuts herself all the time because of her own training. Um, and so it was fascinating to meet Karis. We also meet Jade. We meet a lot of other people who have very differing relationships in terms to the, that performative uh, uh, sense of uh, sexual freedom, right? You know, they're in, it's it's a consumer service. You know, it's yeah. their resource that they train out. They they gather young women from difficult situations. They're sold into these houses, and you have Karis who sort of feels like she's protective of her of her girls, right? And Lex having that very negative relationship of feeling having been felt that she had to leave, and that that trauma when she meets her sees her sister again, right? who's happy, quote unquote. Oh, and that scene is so hard to read because it she is happy in the context that she has to be happy in. Her sister has found a way to find personal happiness in a situation that that would be very difficult to be in, but it's just you're looking at it through Lex's eyes and Lex has found an actual sense of freedom and agency and actual potential happiness and it's so oh and she feels she doesn't have the language to explain it to her sister because her sister is seeing her tattoos she sees bruising uh and she sees all those things and she goes there's no way my sister can read my happiness as happiness so they have that huge disconnect of who's actually happy are they either of them happy you know yeah Yeah, that's such a heartbreaking scene. And that's a really interesting question that I think we watch unfold like throughout the series of how happiness is identified within each sector and how those things can overlap and what that says about the, quote, like morality or the ethical components of each different sector. Because this book really, like in the first book, we meet a lot of Mm O'Kanes. We get a ton of world building within kind of the compound and sector four and how that goes. But this is the first step we really get to like, 
open the doors into an actual like world beyond that that's not just Eden and Sector 4. So we start to get those indications and vibes of what each sector does, what each sector is quote good for, and the kind of people that run it. There's that scene that, or that line that I always think is really interesting where Dallas is talking about, of course, Karis came to ask Lex because somebody who had stayed in Orchid House or stayed in the sector wouldn't have that same kind of ruthlessness or anger to do the things that are required as the head of a house. So there's a, a great irony in Lex escaping only to that make her the best candidate to go back and actually run this potential sector and make maybe change in the way that she's always wanted to make change. Right. It, it's such a devil's bargain that is offered to her. And you can see that, yes, Lex cares about the girls. Lex cares that she would do anything for them. That is attractive to Karis. But at the same time, she cannot trust Karis. And she does. She sees the overreach that it would be. Um, I I remember also being really sort of heartbroken in that conversation because it really made me realize that Dallas didn't realize that she's already on equal footing with him uh, mm-hmm. because she he feels like well then she would have her own sector then we're both sector leaders instead of he had not yet realized no you're already both sector leaders. It should be, you know, there was that moment of like, yeah, buddy, (laughs) you need to get your head figured out. And I think that's one of the, not the first, but I think one of the biggest kind of realizations for Dallas is that is his awareness of the fact that he keeps trying to give Lex something that Lex already has. And it's less about the giving of it than the recognition that it's not his to give to begin with. Right. Which is a, is, a, is a thing that pops up like again and again throughout this book because it goes back to like consent and control. But I just think that that's, it's really interesting because like you said, the whole book starts off with this tattoo and that's something that Lex just does. does. She doesn't ask him about it. She doesn't tell him it's going to happen. He doesn't get any say in it. And the first thing he does when he sees it is he kind of <laughs> freaks out and does his own little like power grab and like she throws down her gauntlet so he has to throw it on his and all of a sudden she's got his collar on and they've entered into this whole new level of relationship t- between themselves but also with the gang yeah, and with the other that, sectors. That's such a big thing where he, ta- you know, he's constantly thinking that he can't reach for something and miss kind of thing. Uh, that precariousness that he views in his own power. Like he feels insecure that if he reaches for something and fails, and that person that is collaring Lex, his sort of legitimacy is gonna be completely destroyed. So there is that sort of like, that's all born out of a, a certain kind of insecurity for himself. Uh, oh, for sure. Um, and then you see like when everything implodes, how that works out in the gang, you know, Mm-hmm. Uh, Noelle's ready to go cut him. And, oh, you yeah. know, she, Jazz is sort of training to take over Sector 4. It's potentially possible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there is that element of like, mm, figure yourself out, buddy. Uh, and you can kind of you see in this book a little bit of those cracks because, it, like you said, it comes back to this insecurity. Like, Dallas doesn't trust the gang, basically. Mm-hmm. Like, he'll trust them to protect him physically and all this, but he doesn't trust that if he makes a mistake as a leader, they won't all immediately abandon him. And as we learn, there are reasons, he's, you know, we've all got baggage and Mm -hmm. he's got some baggage Mm -hmm. for stuff like that. But, and you, I think you see that when 
you know, Mad and Bren and Jess, they all kind of have their times to talk with either Lex or Dallas. And you can kind of, you can tell that they can tell. Yeah. You know that the gang can tell that Dallas doesn't really trust them, that last, like, 1%. And it affects them. And it affects them each in different ways. But it does affect them. And stopping that and getting over that is part of Dallas's kind of journey over the arc of everything. And that comes in training Jess. It comes as more people come into the gang and things kind of, he has to loosen his control a tiny Mm -hmm. bit. And he has to trust them to tell him when he's gone too far. Um, because he lashes out emotionally uh, in really occasionally really cruel ways with fellow gang members. And Jazz has to sort of tell him, stop being this asshole. You, you, we love you and we're backing you up, but come on now. Yeah. And you, yeah. And there's a difference between you being your prickly self and actually snapping at people and being a jerk and being an asshole. And I think <laughs> a part of that conversation is that it unearths the fact that Dallas really feels he's lost Jazz because Jazz has entered this relationship, right? Uh, Mm. And that he belongs to Noel. And so he's not so much his brother. That's how he sees it. And he sees it as a loss rather than something fabulous happening to his friend. And Jazz sort of like, you haven't lost me. I am here for you. Um, It's sort of a, it's something he needs to start seeing that, having that exclusivity, having this relationship is not going to close off relationships. It's going to open them up. Um, and th- so he has to sort of like stop seeing these things as a loss, but more as a gain for the gang as a whole, right? More people being stable and in relationships and in connections. It's going to make everybody happier <laughs> and yeah. a better, stronger army. And uh, yeah, and I think a little, and I think that comes from, and a little bit of it gets expressed with him as well, because that's, that's what he thinks will happen to him if he fully commits to Lex. Mm-hmm. That he that then somehow the gang will be losing because he will have to put her first or that putting her first means also putting the gang second, that they can't both be on some kind of like equal footing and that he's always got these puzzle pieces of hierarchy moving in his head, which I think is in part because he is the sector leader. And we mm-hmm. see in this book that he's got to play those politics and moving pieces with the other sectors on like the big scale. But I think he has a hard time shutting that off and not doing that within his own family unit. And that makes a lot of tension. Oh, yeah. And I mean, there's there. so much conversation about personas. We have the mm-hmm. Declan versus Dallas divide, right? Yeah, you have your Lex and your Alexa. They both have their... Yeah, they both have this performative persona that they put out. It's the debauched rock star hero kind of persona, yeah. right? Yeah, it- your gang leader of... The notorious yeah, so he, sector or whatever. He, he says inflammatory things in meetings to get other people to react and show their hand, right? And I really love the scene where Lex is sort of styling um, Dallas before the meeting where, you know, they're choosing what belts he's going to wear and what, you know, how just how open his shirt is going to be um, and how that very much is... Lex's contribution like all along she's managed that element to it like this is not something he was he wasn't born a smooth sector leader yeah yeah yeah. um and so yeah that's always very neat to see I thought of like the behind the scenes element to that and there's always it's just another really great use of Kit Roka is so good as a pair of using that tactile um, resource description as like character indicators like we you know you see in the first book Noelle picking out her first clothes in the sector that weren't from Eden and how big a deal that is for her and her character same thing going on here is that you're crafting 
you know, Lex is intentionally crafting that persona. And there's talk of that. They talk about how, you know, if everybody is just busy thinking that Dallas is boozing and, and whoring, that he can't be also listening and crafting a plan. And so they work a lot with underestimation and like you're saying, presumption and assumptions. And it's just, and they do that to the other people too. And I think sometimes that we see a little bit of that. I think we saw it with Karis when Dallas realizes that there's maybe a little bit more uh, tiredness or sadness or just being done just with everything. Just so weary. You really get a yeah. sense of Karis being weary of the role that she has to play, of having to cater to men's desires. So it makes mm-hmm. her just a little bit uh, sympathetic, um, which is, again, one of the things that, for me, builds the storyline for the series. Because you can see her as a worthy um, a villain, in a sense, because, you know, she she's often in opposition to what's happening in Sector 4. But you mm-hmm. really understand that as messed up as her worldview is, there's a real humanness hiding behind there, you know. Um, so it's not as easy or uh, to just sort of dismiss her as just a high class pimp. No, there's there's more to it, uh, to who she is. And I think it's, I think that's something that we learn a lot as we go through the books is that this is a world that's rarely full of black and white, good people and bad people. There are people who stand in opposition to our kind of heroes and heroines and the things that they're trying to do. There are some people later on, especially like from Eden, who we meet, who are mostly just <laughs> bad people. But for the, for the most part, anybody who we actually kind of get to know across the whole series is... There's some layers there. Like yeah, there's no Karis, redeeming there's... Jared Woods. <laughs> no, and there's no, no, no redeeming, redeeming some other people who we'll see later. Yeah, uh, no, but, but... I mean, but... we get to meet Finn in this book. Mm-hmm. Um, first as sort of the second in command to, uh, is it five? The, the the medical district? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. The fact that the, sector five. the drug yeah, I think factories so, sector five. and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a scary dude. Um yeah, he's not a good dude. He's not book. a good he's... dude. Uh, and then he has, sort of has an agenda that you don't expect because he is also not just like your typical henchman that you expect to be. Um, and of course, we're going to see later that he's even more complicated. Um, yeah. But, you know, so we get to meet him there. Another character that we get to spend some time with is Maddox. Um, yeah. And, and also introduced to Gideon, his cousin. And Gideon, which is, that's playing the long, long game, because we've got, like, <laughs> eight more books in this series before we even get to where Gideon lives oh my gosh, <laughs> in the next yeah. one. Um, because it's such an interesting thing to also see, like, that's the thing that uh, shows you Dallas's jealousy of not understanding the pieces of Lex that she does for herself. And in a sense, she's also trying to protect him by excluding him from that part of her life, her her little secret missions, um, because it's basically it will complicate things for the gang. It compli- and, but he's like, but it endangers you, so it matters to mm-hmm. me. Um, but there's that interchange where we meet Gideon and he sort of rubs Le- uh, Dallas's nose on like he sort of knows something about Oh yeah, he's got secrets about Lex, and he's not sharing. Oh. But he's telling Dak, he's telling Dallas he has secrets. Oh, he's so mean. And he does the thing where he's like, "Well, you just need to talk to Lex. You sh- they're not my secrets. You should talk to Lex. It's not my story." Which is just like, <laughs> then you shouldn't have hinted at it, buddy. Uh, but it was a test. yeah. But and see, I love Gideon. Gideon's kind of an asshole, but like in that way, the Ace is too. Mm-hmm. Where it's, he'll do stuff like that. He'll like poke and he'll. But because it was a test. I really like he Gideon. was testing mm-hmm. Dallas of like how much. Has Lex trusted you? 
Mm-hmm. Um, and that was our like, oh, there's still some growth okay. here. <laughs> yeah. And I really, and that's, I love, the thing I love most about this book is that journey that they take to Sector 2, to Karis's, where we get to see all the first startings of those other players, mm-hmm. the leaders of the other sectors, and how the bigger world as a whole kind of fits together. I would say, in addition to meeting all those new people, we also get more glimpses of um, both Bren and Six, yes. who will be the heroes of book three. I'm so excited. I love them so much. I just love them so much. And then book four, we also see more of the, uh, this is, I think, really where we start to see some of the uh, kind of uh, sweaters start to unravel between uh, Rachel and Ace and Cruz in like the very background. We start to see how those pieces have kind of all gone to shit, basically. So that when their book comes around, there's some rebuilding to do. So because, yeah, Cruz has now come in and he's... In Sector 4. Yep. We meet him at the end of book one. He helps out the gang with a pretty big favor. And so they take him in when he gets burned from Eden, basically. Right. So he's sort of trying to figure out the lay of the land. What What is it like here? What are the rules? And he falls very quickly for Rachel. Uh, Rachel still be like, oh, <laughs> I didn't expect that. Um, but her heart, as we know, is not... Uh, so easily <laughs> divided. And then we get to see that, like, we get the tiniest little bit of ace pining in this one, although there's more pining to come. Mm-hmm. It's just so good. Yeah. Alexander Santana is so wonderful. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, we really, and it's interesting because we finally, it's, they're the littlest glimpses, but we also finally start to see the shell falling away from six a little bit specifically and only where Bren is concerned but also a little bit with Noelle and when she's hanging out with some of the girls, she's kind of starting, she's learning to Maybe question some of the ways she's been waiting in the small talk and doing the, the the family things and being touched and being in a group of people and not always having to sit with her back to the wall and some of those ingrained habits she made for herself to survive. We already see kind of starting to fall away. Well, a and then there's that great stuff where part of um, Lex taking on like the official sort of position is, mm-hmm. you know, she's right there for. Um, Dealing with six when six is still trying to feel things out. Like, is it in this book where she comes back to uh, Dallas's room? Oh, yeah. Six, uh, is yeah. In the bed? six has <laughs> gotten naked in Dallas's bed and is waiting for Dallas to come back. And Lex shows up instead and literally just like flips on the lights and does like the sigh <laughs> and like grabs our clothes and tosses our clothes and is like, listen, <laughs> let me feel That's you not going to work this, here. This is not. It's not going to work <laughs> yeah. here. But, and that's the great thing about Lexa. She's not mad. She understands. Like, this is not the kind of community where she's going to fly off the handle and get mad. If Dallas had come home first, there is not a way in that that was going to be happening. No, it would probably have been more like Dallas frantically trying to take her out of the room because he doesn't want her to, like, screw up with Lex. Yeah, like, push push her out before anybody can come in and find it. But but Six doesn't know any of that. And so there's this really great conversation where Lex just kind of levels with her and explains, like, this may be what you had to do to survive there, but that's not how the game works here. And kind of give her the same rundown that she had to give Noelle, just right. in a different tone and in a different way because Six is coming from such a different place. Right, and because, and I, and we all explore this in Six's books because of so much, I think she recognizes who Six wanted to be and has the potential of being um, and sees just how, like, girl, you're not you're not getting us yet. Um no, and I, I think that's that's such a wonderful moment. There's no flying off the handle. There's really like, there's no real anger except at the fact 
that. She doesn't get it yet. Right. That Six hasn't learned yet that that's not. Lex is almost frustrated that the gang hasn't shown Six enough that that's not how that right. works here. Right. That just the general atmosphere hasn't been enough to kind of. So she's not really angry at Six so much as frustrated of just like, that's not. We keep trying to tell you or show you that that's not how that's going to work here. Right. And there's a there's a thing where uh, both Lex and Dallas feel distracted from their positions by where their relationship is going wrong. Um, yeah. And it's interesting because they really need to spend that time to figure themselves out. This is necessary. I mean, and at the beginning, you know, Dallas is very upset that they didn't get to negotiate, you know, all these rules yeah. before he collared her. And that's where, like, they need to negotiate what they're gonna, their life is going to be like. And, mm-hmm. yeah, it's taking them away from being able to figure out what is happening with Rachel and Cruz and Ace. It's taking mm-hmm. them away from, and it isn't because like they're having happy times in bed the whole time. No, it's actually yeah. because they're doing really emotional stuff. Yeah, and it takes them until the end of the book to realize that taking that time to do that emotional work in the long run will be better because the stability of the two of them is so important to the dynamics and the setup within the family and within all of the like trickle down power structures like from that. So taking that time to figure that out is going to do more in the long run for the gang than necessarily being in every day-to-day detail all of the time. Yeah, and I mean, there's that moment near the end of the book when they've broken up. Uh, Lex is making noises about leaving, but really not leaving because she doesn't want to leave. And um, she steps up and is Lex for uh, for him uh and in a moment where he really needs her and it sort of mm-hmm. i think it shows dallas a how much he needs her and b that not everything is as broken as he thinks it is he thinks uh, he's given up you know he's sort of like i screwed up i'm done you know and it's like yeah she's gone it's whatever we're done and, and he realizes then she was willing to do that for me <laughs> maybe uh, mm-hmm. there, there's a place to grow from yeah, which is always a wonderful place to get to. Okay, uh, moving towards wrapping it up. Did we have any extra favorite parts or favorite scenes, anything like that? Uh, for me, it was funny. I was listening to this as an audiobook at regular speed, one person. And I was, I spent four commutes listening to the big uh, sex scene where they're oh yeah the huge <laughs> the, like orgy it is, turn and then i mean one-on-one yeah, yeah. and it's in or i mean like, i remember it being really long reading in the book and not like in a bad way it just in a like whoa we're we're into this mm-hmm. but having to listen to it for like four days in a row coming and going from work <laughs> was a bit much they're still still having sex still fucking <laughs> people still still so having I, sex on I the book. Uh, one and a quarter time is still sexy mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But much faster. <laughs> yeah, I tend to go up to one and a half with the sex yeah. scenes, mostly because to get the general biology of it all figured out. But uh, the, the I like that the scenes are so long in this book because there's actually a lot there's of a lot really of great emotional work that happens. That happens. Yeah. yeah. But uh, I'm always going to be a fan of Lex <laughs> smacking Gareth Woods across the face with my fucking like four foot bong and like putting a piece of glass in his neck. Yeah, that's that's always going to be a good moment. Oh, I mean that that moment where you know she's watching um, Jade crawl ever so oh. slowly to that door. 
Um, and just oh, that, so there's that anguish, and she's like, she's not gonna die here, and she's not gonna, you know, let this man walk out of here. Like that, there's that sort of feral, you know. Yeah, it's, it's I sort of want an action movie slow mo yeah. death scene for Jared Woods, you know, and because it is such a hero moment, right? That she gets to mm-hmm. have there, and it's so vulnerable too, because she's put herself in that place, and mm-hmm. um, because. She's saving Jade. She's doing her thing. And she's also there to save Dallas. Um, yeah. And that's where there's that really flip in in the story where Jared Woods has become this talisman that Dallas is trying to get a hold of. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and he was never hers, him, never his to kill. It was always yeah. something that Lex needed to do because of, not so much because he shot her, but because he does this to women. You know, it's like... It's interesting to me that you put it that way because that, to me, point like makes it even more clear, like the mirror between Gareth Woods and Dallas and Lex, and then what Bren did for Six mm-hmm. in actually giving giving her the chance at the retribution that she had kind of rightfully earned mm-hmm. and deserved the chance to the, at least the option to take. I love that scene right after Lex does what she does because it's it's like from an action movie, like you literally see like Dallas is. <laughs> bursting in and he's got the whole gang behind him but the dust is already settling and Lex is just like sitting there and the dude is dead and she's like what are you doing here I already fixed it all and like that's not quite how it goes down but it's very much so this like he rushes in ready to take her down and like she's already done it and he's just kind of left standing there being like okay right and then they have to play this little thing with with Finn but it's it's really sort of the you can see the adrenaline is settling for all of them they just want to go home Mm -hmm. and go to sleep they just sort of have to yeah. have clean up. You can see her like covered in blood, not even her mm-hmm. own. She just wants to go home and clean. She's, everyone just wants a shower and a nap. <laughs> and really it's that moment where like Dallas has already realized, but he's able to fully see and point out to other people like she can, she's got it. Mm-hmm. She can take care of herself. She's whether, you know, this wasn't the smartest decision, but she came out on the other side. So there's some trust on both sides that needs to be had. Yeah, absolutely. So no, I mean, that fi- the final scene. I love their tattoos. I love yes that it's the crowns and that their names are in the back. Um, mm-hmm. Such a, a, a private thing, like very much that duality of their relationship, where they're this to the gang, but they will always be Declan and Alexa to each other. Yeah, and Kitrock always does so good with the tattoos. If you're reading this book for the first time, watch those tattoos, friends, because there's always more stuff going on there and they're always really good. That leaves us set up for moving on to our next book. So we'll go ahead and like wrap this up and let you guys know we will be back in another couple weeks to talk about Beyond Pain, which as we've already mentioned, that's one of of my favorites. Books three and four are probably some of my favorites in the entire series. Some great Um, heroines who have some stuff to figure out, yes. Some stuff to figure out and the big dudes (laughs) who just have to sort through their emotions. I love it so much. Beyond Pain is the book about Six and Bren. Uh, and so we get to kind of watch this uh, feral cat and protective stoic soldier learn to trust and be in love with each other. And I'm so excited because it's so good. It's my favorite. Um, yeah, but so come back in a couple of weeks. Uh, pick it up in the meantime if you have not gotten the chance to read it yet. 
do you want to let people know where they can find us online? Yeah, Anna? go to beyondsectors.com. That is our blog. We have links to our Podbean and I finally iTunes uh, feeds. Um, yeah, they finally iTunes. Come on, you guys. You do this all the time. It should not take that long. Come on now. But you can find us there. And uh, you can also sign up for our, our newsletter. We'll send out a little mailing anytime that I, we have a new show out. Perfect. And of course, as you should be doing with all of your favorite podcasts by now, uh, read, review, rate, tweet out the link, do all that stuff that people are always telling you to do anyway. I know you've heard that spiel before. But uh, until next time, friends, you can find me on Twitter at An Outlaw Life. You can find me at Anna Cookie. And uh, we will see you next time beyond the sectors, friends. Bye. Bye.